have a copy of God's Word, could you turn to Psalm 78, the psalm that what we just sang is based upon. We're very thankful for the children of this congregation, and the Lord's blessing upon the families of this church. Very Glad to see little Stephen in for the first time in the house of the Lord. Good to see you, Eileen. And uh, glad to have him with us here. And may it ever be the place for our children to be in the house of God. And even yet, those prodigals that come to your mind to pray that the Lord would yet bring them into the house of God to hear his word and be instructed in his ways and brought to Repentance. So Psalm 78. We have this psalm in which there is a, an exhorting to the generation regarding the need to know God's Word and God's works. And so we want to read the opening verses of the psalm. Let us hear the word of the Lord. And once I bring the word, we'll proceed with the the dedication as well. We'll sing and dedicate lance to the Lord. Psalm 78, verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. And our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and might not be, as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Amen. We'll end there. At verse 8. Let's still our hearts in prayer, beloved. Let's seek the Lord. Our God, again, we come with a desire that we might have the benediction of heaven upon us today. We have been encouraged in what we've been singing, instructed, and helped already. And so we thank you for what we have considered. We do pray you will give us homes built firm upon Savior. Well, Christ is not just said to be the head, but evidently through all that we say and do is placed where He ought to be. Oh God, we ask for grace to abandon all falsehood and all compromise and be sold out for God in every household, whether occupied by an individual or occupied by a large family, that it might be a 
a Bethel, the house of God, a place where God is exalted and worshipped, where His Word is central and governs every life. As this young family come publicly today to indicate their love for Christ and desire to raise their children according to the Word, we pray that all of us would be reminded and helped in this huge endeavor, monumental task, and one that we know God will help us with. So we confess our shortcomings already and pray for a deepening realization of our need that, O Lord, you will come to us. Oh, please help us in this day and give me of the abundance of your Spirit power to preach your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. An article published by the New York Post this past week stated that nearly 6,000 schools in the U.S. currently run not planning to, but already run, according to a policy that blocks parents from knowing whether their child identifies as a different gender in the classroom or in the school setting. The policy is the child says something relating to that, you do not inform the parents. 6,000 almost schools. That means that teachers could, if they so desire, manipulate their students, confuse them, and the success of their work would be kept hidden from the parents until the damage is done. If you're not aware, there are many wicked teachers within the public school system with an agenda to do this very thing. I don't know how many, but let's have a guess. If the collective success rate of those with such a desire or an agenda is 1%, That's over 30,000 students in America, given the 3.2 million students supposedly represented by those almost 6,000 schools. Institutions like the Boston's Children's Hospital are on a campaign to destroy the youth of America. I have been utterly stunned by some of the videos that they have I mean, these aren't undercover videos. These are videos that were for public consumption, for people to be aware of what is available to them. There's a guy on Twitter who is very much militant in his exposing of all of things relating to all this gender stuff, and it is quite frightening. You don't have to make up the nightmare. The nightmare is very much reality. And so there's a war going on. Our children are part of that which is under assault. And governing the lines of the enemy is one who is none other than Satan. And the war is not merely one of ideology, it is one that is spiritual. 
spiritual. One in which we have to recognize that the weapons of our warfare cannot be merely carnal. I'm not against policies, and there have been states already in recent times that have stipulated that any of this nonsense is now outlawed. I mean, we are now making rules and regulations for things that ought to have been or were common sense in the past. Our nation and our states are having to overregulate because of the stupidity of people and their godlessness and hatred of the word. So this morning, for just a brief season before we come to the dedication of a little one, I want to turn your mind to Psalm 78, verse 7. And it says that they, this is referring to the children that should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. So it's not just one generation, but one generation affecting the next generation. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So I've titled the message simply, Our Children and What Matters. Our Children and what matters. Our children are not just things that are little ones that we have in our possession. We are to have a clear understanding of what it is that God is doing when He puts children under our care. There is a mission, a responsibility, a calling that every parent has, and I might say extended to grandparents, and perhaps I could say extended to godly aunts and godly uncles and any family connection, anyone who has any place in a family and can influence children, there is, to some degree, a calling. Now, a family will get up this morning and indicate their desire to dedicate their little one to God. They're publicly willing to say that this, this little one is not merely one that we are going to delight in as our child, but we want to teach them, we want to model before them, we want to pray and see them one for Christ and live for His glory. And that's true of all families, I hope, in this church, whether you have done something publicly like this or not, that in your heart of hearts there is, there is this desire, there is this conviction that I have a calling to raise these children to the glory of God. Part of the reason why we, we want to have something like next week, our family conference, it is, it is a way in which not only you hear from me about these things, but we bring someone else with a specific purpose to put the Word of God before us regarding this matter. Given the warfare that we are in, we must, we must adopt the mentality of responding to it. Again, not merely by policy. I'm all for legislation if it's necessary. I wish it wasn't necessary. I'm all for men protecting us legislatively. I'm okay with that. That's what laws are to do, to protect the righteous and punish the wicked. But we, but we don't win merely by that. You don't win simply by having children that are, let's say, uh, within the mold of what is socially acceptable. We are looking for our children to know God. 
that they might know thee, the only true God, was the prayer of our Lord Jesus, that they might know thee. So, as we look at our children and what matters first, they have something to believe in. They have something to believe in, that they might set their hope in God, that they might set their hope in God, their trust in God, their confidence is in God. Now, two things here. Since they have something to believe in, they must know it. They must know it. They must know what it is that they are to believe. Now, how do you get your children to set their hope in God? Well, it relates to the Word, doesn't it? Verse 5, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. So, we are to teach our children the Word of God. Now, teaching our children the Word of God doesn't guarantee their salvation. But everyone I trust in this place knows that salvation is not of parents, not of the church, it is of the Lord. But He has promised to use means. And the means that He uses is His Word. It is an instrument. It is God-given. It is a blessing to instruct their hearts and teach their minds what they are to know and do. So we are to instruct the children in the Word of God. Abraham, it was said in Genesis 18, verse 19, where God testifies of him, I know him. What does God know about Abraham? That he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. They're keeping the way of the Lord. They're doing what they're called to do. He is teaching them what God requires. And all fathers have this responsibility. Ephesians 6, verse 4, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The idea is of teaching them, instructing them, and disciplining them according to God's Word. So since they have something to believe, they must know that which they are to believe. Also, since they have something to believe, they must see it. Not only know it, but see it. They have to see it. That they might set their hope in God is something not merely to be said and taught by words, but also by example. Take the craft of anyone, any craft, any, doesn't matter what it is, blue collar, white collar, any craft, musician, plumber, whatever it is, they tend to do much better when they are able to model someone who's before them. All right? I mean, this is, <laughs> we're having to look at a couple of things in the house and some, well, every, everyone's house, you know what it's like. There's always some little thing that needs fixing or repaired or updated or whatever it is. And there was a time when we were completely, many of us, had no clue at all. And now we have this little bit of courage because we can go on to YouTube and we can see someone do it. And maybe, maybe we might just be able to tackle it ourselves because they model it for us. They model it. Say, here's here's how you tile, or here's how you lay down the flooring, or here's how you fix this problem with your car, or whatever. And you think, I, I think I might be able to do that. Because you can see it. It's right there in front of you. Otherwise, even if you had instructions and words, you would say, I, I can't follow the steps here. I, I need to see it. And so we abandon it until someone shows it being done before us, and we think, I think I can do that. Well, since children have something to believe, not only are they to be taught it, it is to be modeled, all right? It's to be modeled. That means the things that you say matter, 
all right? Because as parents, we say, this matters, all right? We instruct our kids and we say, do this. Why should they do it? Well, because it matters. Well, if we want them to believe it matters, we also must model that it matters, all right? So you're going to teach your kids that prayer matters. Well, it needs to be modeled. Or reading the Word matters. Well, it needs to be modeled. Or attending God's house matters. It needs to be modeled. It needs to, so it's like, I know it matters because I saw it so clearly in the lives of my parents. After Abraham was dead, when he was gone, God was able to say not only that he would teach his children, that's what we saw in Genesis 18, 19, teaching his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord, but in Genesis 26, verse 5, it says, Abraham, this is to Isaac, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So he not only it taught the family and taught the household, but he modeled it. He obeyed, and God's able to testify and say, Abraham actually modeled what it is that he was to teach. Now, all of us, I would say the vast majority of us, are better at instructing than we are at modeling. Generally, we can say, do this, but maybe we don't model it. And we cannot be content with that. We can't be content simply able to explain what to do. We need to pray, God, help me to model what to do. Secondly, not only have they something to believe, they have something to remember. Verse seven again, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Not forget the works of God. And you can break this down the same way. Since they have something to remember, they must know it. They must know it. They must know what it is there to remember. Look at verse four, 3 and 4. Which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. So it's not just about establishing a testimony and appointing a law in Israel that they are to make known, but it is the works. God has done things in the past, and since they have something to remember, they must know about these works. The children must know not just about the Word of God, but the works of God. Now, there's overlap there. I get it. Because where do we find out about the works of God? In the Word of God. But there is a distinction here. Go to Judges chapter 2. Back in your Old Testament. To Judges chapter 2. Now, you have a generation in Joshua... You've had Moses leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. Joshua's been there. Now he takes the baton, as it were, to carry on. That's one of those words I have to get right. As someone who's not an American, I have to change the pronunciation. <laughs> Every time I've said that word so far, someone comes and says to me, are you talking about baseball? You're batting, batting. We talk about passing the baton. Well, it's the baton. That's what I'm talking about. So if I forget another time and I talk about a baton, you know I mean baton, just so you all are aware. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to get all those words and where you place the emphasis needs to be changed. So, Judges comes 
and Joshua's generation now has passed, and there's another generation. All right, so Joshua lived through Moses' time, and he carries on the work, and then eventually he passes too, and then there's this other generation that didn't go through the wilderness, didn't see with their eyes the miracles of the deliverance from the Egyptians and the provision of water and manna and all the rest of it. They they never saw that. So we're told, verse 8 of Judges 2, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And then we're told in verse 10, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, all Joshua's generation, all those who knew Moses in person, all those that remember Moses, all those that can recall the acts of God, all those that saw the conquering of the cities and so on, they're gone. And we're told in verse 10, there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Part of their problem is that they did not know well what God had done for them. And they weren't able to remember. So this is why, and I tell all parents this, when you're reading the Word of God to little children, right, small children, don't read Romans. Just don't, all right? Because <laughs> you're, you're going on about the just shall live by faith and all the rest of it. And they, they just, they don't get it, right? They're, they're three, they're four. They, they, can't, they can't follow the didactic language. They don't get it. But what they do get is the life of the Lord Jesus. That they can see. Or God's working through all the narratives of Genesis and Exodus. You know, you might want to leave out the parts of the tabernacle and all of that. They'll just shut out. Most adults shut out when you're reading through the tabernacle and the arrangement of it. Leviticus as well. They're not going to get that except perhaps verses 8, 9, and 10 where you have the, the consecration of the priests. Maybe a little narrative there that they can get. And some of Numbers and... Then you come into the historical books and they can follow Joshua and Judges and they can follow into the the kings, the life of David and so on. They can see the narrative. They can see what's being described in the book of Ruth. They can understand even, you know, Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah, parts of that, and and, and Daniel, even part of Daniel, the prophecy there. But, But there are parts they just can't see. And so focus on that because when you do that, You tend to be focusing on the works of God. And you're putting it into their mind and they can see. They don't need you to describe it, though it may help. But their little minds can run wild as they think of the parting of the sea and God's deliverance of his people. So give them all the narratives. Don't bore them going through, I don't know, Any other passage that is just heavy that even you might struggle with. You say, I'm going to read everything. I'm going to go through Ezekiel. Well, you're probably not getting much from it, and they're getting probably less. Although, maybe they can visualize wheels within wheels better than you can. Fill their mind with the works of God so they know them. This is a generation we're warned about. After Joshua, they didn't No, and they fell because they did not know what God had done for 
Israel. So, since it's something to remember, they must know it. Also, since they have something to remember, they must see it as well, just like we said in the first point. If they remember something, not just know what God has done in the past, but see it as well. In other words, our children need to be helped in seeing the works of God up to date. That means you elevate what God has done in your life. Like you help them early in life. You say, look children, here, here's where we were. You might talk about your own life and your own experiences. It may be in the past. That might be helpful. Daddy went through this. Mommy went through that. Here's what God did for them. It may be in the moment as they're right there and you, know, you lose a job or something else happens, some event occurs, and you bring God into the discussion. And you help them to see the event through a lens of divine providence. You help them to see the works of God are right up to date. Because that is key in them remembering the works of God. Not just that He worked back then, but He is working right now. They need to see that. And you need to help them adopt that lens. David, someone did this for David. Someone helped young David to understand this, that to see the works of God and the significance of the works of God right up to date, so that, and I know you're familiar with it, but I'm wondering, should we turn to it? Yeah, turn to it. First Samuel. First Samuel 17. Just so you see what I mean here. David is developing himself a sense of the works of God and what that did for him. First Samuel 17, this is David and Goliath, of course. First Samuel 17, read from verse 32. So David now is before Saul. He's already indicated, is there not a cause? Verse 29, he, he sees the need for this, Goliath, this giant of the Philistines to be dealt with rather than feared. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I mean, <laughs> this didn't make any sense to anyone watching, right, at all. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Here's a man of experience. This is giant. He is physically equipped for war. I mean, he was born, and by the time he was probably five or six, it's like, well, <laughs> this, here's an unusual child. And as he grows in stature and he's taught the ways of war and battle, I mean, he is just shaped for this. His whole physique cries out, this is what you were built for. You know, some of those kids, you say, you're, you're built to be a linebacker or whatever. You know, it comes, you see it early. There's, they have it. It's in them. Well, so it was for Goliath. And David's just this little young man. But, verse 34, David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. 
Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. See how the works of God had taught him? How do I know he attributes it to the work of God? Look at verse 37. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, will he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. He developed his own understanding of the works of God. The works of God. He saw the works of God in his own life. Parents, see the works of God. Not only that you might enjoy it yourself, but then put it before your children and teach them to look at their life and understand their life through this lens that there are things to remember in your life and you can say, here God was working. God worked in my life. So, they have something to believe. They have something to remember. Going back to Psalm 78, finally, they have something to do. They have something to do. Psalm 78, verse 7, again, that they might set their hope in God. That's what they're to believe. What they're to believe helps them to hope in God, trust in God. They have something to remember, not forget the works of God. And they have something to do. Keep His commandments. What they believe and what they remember is not simply to be some monument that they set up and they say, like you put the Ten Commandments in your home and say, we believe that. Or you put the apostles, uh, any kind of confession, whatever it might be, you put some confession up on the wall and you, you state it and you get them to memorize it and you say, there's what we believe. It is to have a practical outcome. They are to obey God. This is what we hope for our children. Children, keep that in mind. Young people, children, keep it in mind. What you're taught, what you're being instructed in, is not simply for information's sake. It is so that you know it, and then you know what God expects of you. So that you might live a certain way. That might shape you. And govern how you live your life. Remember Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, and on into verse 10. That for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God wants us to walk in a certain way, not merely to be saved. And so, Here's what we are to teach our kids as well. <laughs> we don't win them all. <laughs> there are things that God requires of you that you're happy to do. All right? You say God commands this and you're happy to do it. And our, this is where our kids really, this is what they really need to learn because... Like I say, there are things he commands and they will, they will happily accept that and say, I have no problem with that. That makes sense to me and I'm happy to go along with that. God commands, for example, that a man marry a woman, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning. And, God, and they grow up and say, of course, I have no problem with that. 
They've no problem with that. So what they really need to see from us as parents isn't just that, not just modeling the things that they will naturally adopt and understand and make sense to them. What they really need to see is what do you do, how do you obey, or how important is it to obey God when it cuts against what I feel? And sometimes I wonder if that's not least in part why God commands so much that His people be gathered together in a community, like be together like this. Because we come together in a community, and if we really commit it to one another, inevitably, inevitably, we're going to find there are differences, we're going to grieve one another, we're going to be upset at what someone said or didn't say or did or didn't do, and you know how it goes. If, you, if you're a nomad going from church to church to church to church, everyone just seems so happy and everything's fine and, you know, it's fine. It's when you stick long enough together in the one body you begin to have abrasive moments. Let's just put it in that terminology. Abrasive moments. And our children grow up. What do they interpret through that? Because Jesus says, love the body, love the church, love my people. And when we just walk away in the abrasive moment, because it didn't quite go as we wanted, and Christ says, love, and we go and try to love someone else instead, just walk away and love another body where we don't have those faults or not aware of them. What are we teaching them with regard to the kind of love required in marriage? God says to you, son, love your bride. And the parents have modeled, well, he said to love his people as well, but they walked away when they fell out of love with those people. Why can't the same be applied in marriage? I think there's even lessons there. How do I love when it cuts, when it's difficult, when it's abrasive? The real challenge in obedience is when it's difficult. And yet still, they are to keep His commandments. That's what we pray for all of our children, that they live a fruitful life of obeying God and keeping His commandments. Oh, boys and girls, commit your life unto Christ. Mom and Dad, always put the Word before them, live it before them, saturate them in the truth, but do so in a way that is not merely robotic and legal, but is full of the charity of the gospel. This God is our God. Worship Him. Love Him. Look what we, He has done for us in saving us, in keeping us, providing for us. May the Lord help us. We're going to sing, ask Paul if he come and lead us in song, please.